WNYC Studios is brought to you by Zbiotics. Seize the day after a night of drinks with Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink. Zbiotics was invented by PhD scientists to break down the byproduct of alcohol, which is most responsible for making you feel crummy the next day. Drink Zbiotics before your first drink, drink responsibly, and you'll wake up refreshed and ready to take on the day. Try it for yourself at zbiotics.com/wnyc and get 15% off your first order when you use WNYC at checkout. That's zbiotics.com/wnyc and use the code WNYC at checkout for 15% off. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is All of It. I'm Allison Stewart. Thank you for spending part of your day with us today. Later in the week, we'll talk about a revival of A Doll's House that's now on Broadway. Jessica Chastain stars as Nora, one of theater's most demanding and iconic roles. The script has been updated by playwright Amy Herzog. They will both join me. In studio, that's happening on Friday. Jessica, by the way, won a SAG Award for Outstanding Female Performance in a Limited Series or TV Movie. Last night, she looked lovely. She had a great speech. We'll talk to her about that. We'll also speak to NPR's Ari Shapiro. He and actor Alan Cumming have a new cabaret show called Ach and Oi, a considered cabaret that will be at the Carlisle later this spring. Plus, he's written a memoir called The Best Strangers in the World. Ari Shapiro will join us to discuss both and take your calls. That is later in the week. But let's get this hour started with cartoonist Barbara Brandon Croft. Today in our Black Art History series for Black History Month, we turn to the first African-American woman cartoonist to have a nationally syndicated comic strip. Our next guest, Barbara Brandon Croft. It all began in 1989 when Croft's trailblazing comic, Where I'm Coming From, became a breath of fresh air to readers of the Detroit Free Press, who saw the perspectives of black women put at the forefront. The strip was nationally syndicated two years later. The strip features nine recurring characters, all of them black women who take up space, literally, on the page. Some of them include voices like Lydia, the conscious single mother, Lakeisha, the activist, and the outspoken woman named Monica, who's light-skinned and always batting down questions like, what are you? These women discuss everything from social injustices and microaggressions to menfolk and the day-to-day events of their own lives. A Washington Post article said what she delivered in her strips was a circle of friends who have an uncanny way of drawing the reader through casually conversational tones, sometimes breaking the fourth wall. Now, our retrospective collection of strips titled After the Pioneering Illustrator includes essays and letters highlighting the cartoonist's achievement and career. The book is titled Where I'm Coming From. And joining us now from Queens is Barbara Brandon Croft. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Why did it feel like the right time for a retrospective? Because someone asked me if they could do it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, yeah actually, that's how it happened. I, I um, had kind of put it on the shelf for a while. You know, it ended, my syndication ended in 2005. And I kind of let it, you know, I was married. I had a kid. I was working. I just let it kind of fade away until I started doing it again for myself, post-syndication. And then I got a call from drawn in quarterly. And they're like, you you did important work. We need to put it together a collection. I was like, okay. <laughs> so um, I was like, that sounds great to me. So that's really how it happened. When you started, what did you see that was missing that you wanted to fill that void? 
Yeah. Well, black women on the comic page. Um, That was a void that was undeniable. Mm -hmm. Uh, My dad was uh, a cartoonist, pioneer black cartoonist, had a comic strip Luther. um, And he came around in the late 60s, early 70s, along with Maury Turner with Wee Pals and Ted Shearer with Quincy. And my dad had Luther. My dad, Brumsick Brandon Jr. And, um, and you know, I guess it could be argued that at the time, um, newspapers were looking to reflect their, you know, it was a turbulent time. It was, sure. you know, the late 60s, early 70s. And they're like, we need to show that we understand that we have black readers. And uh, it seems like it may have been more palatable to have youngsters talking. So um, for me, when I did it, um, I had adult women, you know, and um, had them speaking. And, and that hadn't been done before in the in the manner that I was doing it. Who are some of the voices that in that readers have really responded to and that you knew were going to work right away? Um, you know what? I thought all of them would work right away. You knew it. <laughs> because, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I mean, they were they were true women. You know, it was, mm-hmm. I based them on myself. I based them on my friends. Um I based them on an honesty, you know, about what my experience is. And I just talked about everything. So I got, I got responses from women who said, Oh, my goodness, you're, you're, you know, killing me softly with your comic. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like I was, I was telling their story through my, my girls, you know, I call them girls as girlfriends. But um, (laughs) so that that it's, it's, um, I, I cannot say which one's stood out more. I think they all kind of hit somebody's mm-hmm. um, some something in someone. I like the Roberta Flack reference as well. <laughs> Barbara Brandon Croft is my guest. The name of the collection is Where I'm Coming From, a collection of strips from 1989 to 2005. Um, what, before someone said yes to you, yes, Barbara, yes, let's do this comic, why did they say no? Did they explain why they said no? Um, yeah. So I did uh, the the yes that I got that was great was uh, from Detroit Free Press, um, and so there I was published. And I was like, and I knew enough about the the industry because my dad was a syndicated cartoonist that I needed a syndicate. There's no way I could get papers on my own. Um, so I reached out to syndicates, and um, basically the rejections I got, and I got some nice rejections, <laughs> some thoughtful rejections, but uh, <laughs> that were. They, they said we can't just do. I just I can't just do women. I can't. I have to in, include environments. I can't just do black women. How many? You know, how many people are going to be interested in this outside of other black women? Uh, which of course is insulting. Um, I was like, it, these are just women, you know, talking. And and our hopes and our dreams are the same as yours. And I talk about universal themes. So, um, but that that's the kind of thing I got, and I I didn't want to change any of that. Um, so I did. And I was lucky enough to get Universal Press Syndicate, who said, OK, let's do it your way. And, that, and that's how it happened. Yeah. What's a piece of advice you got from your father, either creatively or about the nuts and bolts of this business that really proved to be useful? Um, well, I guess I would say that um, one of the things that he said to me and often said to me is that what a cartoonist job is to do is to observe, interpret, and record, record, you know, what we're doing, what's happening in our lives. And that's what he did in my face all my life. So I saw a cartoonist drawing. I saw what it took. I saw, you know, a, a, you know, a real life role model right there in my home. 
So there's no other way that I would know that I could be a cartoonist if I had not seen him mm. do it. So it was kind of like um, that immersion <laughs> in that in that world of cartooning. And I was like, okay, I can do this. And I did. Did you, were you one of those kids who was sort of running around <laughs> your dad's office while he was working and, and absorbing <laughs> the... the yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, you know, we we grew up, I grew up in Long Island. I grew up in Newcastle and we lived in a small house. And um, when my dad was always cartooning, but before Luther um, got started mm-hmm. and once Luther start, you know, the beginning of it, he was working in the dining room and the dining room was in the cent- center of the house. Uh-huh. So, you know, you know, I was, I don't know, in my early teens or, you know, at, you know, preteen and I was running around and making noise and and it was like <laughs> calm down everybody dad's working you know it's like wait he's supposed to be a cartoonist thought this was supposed to be a fun guy but he was very serious because he had to get his work done so we did have to but I did see it I saw it it's I saw how it was done your style and I think people as soon as they saw it, if they see it if they google it now they'll recognize right away um, and one of the sort of signature things in your style which is really effective is it's the women's faces and their arms and their hands but nothing but not no bodies not in not in a in a space in a place so you really have to concentrate on their faces and their eyes and their hands when did you come to this style for this strip there's got to be deeper meaning to it than just like, oh, I just want to draw faces and hands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's there's a, a few ways to answer that. And one of them is that I, I created it for Elon was a black woman's mm-hmm. magazine. So I just wanted them to, I wanted my characters to talk directly to the reader. And I initially came, and this is 1982 when I did that. And um, I felt that um, having, and I stole that idea from Jules Pfeiffer, not going to, you know, front. Um, But Jules (laughs) Pfeiffer had a way of, you know, some of his comics, he would have the reader, the character read, talk directly Mm -hmm. to the, um, and I thought that was genius. And I was like, I'm going to kind of borrow that. And um, so, but I also was so sick of women being thought of in terms of their body parts. You know, Mm. I am like, what's going on in their minds is what I was trying to have the focus remain on. So, you know, even everything now is, you know, music, everything is hypersexualized. It's like, well, how about what we're thinking, you know? So I've been asked, so are any of them fat? I was like, well, yeah, but that's all in their mind too. If they don't mm-hmm. think that they're the right size, that's that's in your mind. Or if, they, if you think you're really beautiful, that's also in your mind. So I just wanted to focus in on their faces and what they were saying. I use the hands just to be more expressive mm-hmm. um, because it, initially it was just, you know, floating heads. But then I, I started including hands and arms and gestures just for expression. When I talk to novelists, some of them will say, you know, this character came to me very easily and another character was a little harder to to nail down. Of your your characters, who just comes to you really easily? That voice, is you just grasp it. And who sometimes is a little harder to... To, to corral? Well, what I do is um, I keep notebooks on things that I want to talk about. Oh. And then I, I I start thinking about who could best express this, you, you know, knowing my characters. So I have, you know, the one who comes to me most easily is Lakeisha. She's the one with the dreads. Mm-hmm. And she's the one that, that um, when I have a point to make about social injustice, I definitely know I'm going to use her. Or mm-hmm. at first, I know I'm going to use okay. her. Um, I also... Um, 
use Monica, who's the fair skinned one with mm-hmm. the, you know, light eyes and long hair. And um, because she's very socially conscious as well. But then, you know, if I want to say something that I just think is a little showing my anxiety or something, um, which I'm full of, um, <laughs> I use Jackie, you know, because that's how Jackie, mm-hmm. that's how she lives. She's always anxious about something. And Lydia comes with Riri. Yes, she does. Tell yes. us a little bit about Lydia and Riri. <laughs> yeah, so so Lydia um, was not um, a mom when we started out, when I started out. And um, then, you know, she had a baby. She decided to have a baby. It was a, a, a choice of hers. Mm-hmm. And she knew that she wasn't going to have the father involved. He explained it to her. She was cool with that. She's like, I, this is something I want to do for myself. And um, and then she wanted to name a child that um, demanded respect. So there was Aretha Franklin. Her name is really Aretha, mm-hmm. and we call her Riri. So that's where she came from. And, you know, we've made it sound like this just happened very easily overnight for you. But you had a whole other set of careers before this all broke for you. What were some of the other jobs you had? And, and how did they help you get to where you are? Well, you know, I um, I went to school to study art, had no idea what I was going to do with it. And um, when I left, that was Syracuse. And when I left, mm-hmm. I came back and I looked in the in the times at the in the one ads and I saw a job at retail news bureau I liked fashion you know Mm -hmm. I was like they said they consider trainees I was like okay (laughs) I'm a trainee you know and I took (laughs) I took my um, portfolio I was like I'm a quick learner I like this stuff they needed an illustrator as well so I got that job so it when Elon came out that was going to be a rival to essence I was like maybe I can get a job over there Mm -hmm. I took my portfolio I took um, my writing samples and said, I'll do anything. And um, Marie Brown, who was the editor in chief at the time, she was like, you're kind of funny. You draw, can you do a comic strip? And I was like, yeah, I can. No idea what I was going to do. I, a lot of things just fell into place for me. Mm. So, you know, even after I ended up being a research um, director at Parents Magazine. So I've been a, a fact checker for many years. Um, so all these things kind of fell in place. And fed into what I like to do. And this is, there's no better way than to express yourself than with comics for me. It's no, there's no better way. Why do you say there's no better way? Because you're, you're in your home, you know, you're on a drawing table, Mm -hmm. you're just putting out your ideas. Um, It's, it feels like an honor to be able to express my ideas without um, having to, I don't have that immediate feedback. You know, I'm just, I'm Mm -hmm. just putting out my ideas. I can draw it up, I can send it out, and then send it into the world and 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 let it go. So to me, that was that was ideal. You know, it's we're talking to you on a Monday after something wild happened over the weekend. We could never have known we'd be talking to you after Scott Adams, who created the very popular Dilbert cartoon, went on this racist anti-black monologue over the weekend and said, I watched it just to see it for myself. And he said, among other things, white people need to get the hell away from black people. He said he moved to a neighborhood with a low black population, claiming there's a correlation between the problems in a community and the race of the people who live there. He called black people a hate group. And since then, many papers have dropped him. The Washington Post, the Los Angeles Times, USA Today Network. Chris Quinn, the editor of the Cleveland Plain Dealer, said, we will no longer carry his comic strip. This is not a difficult decision. Yeah. First of all, yeah, mm -hmm. please. Well, I was just going to say, um, this isn't his first time exposing himself as uh, 
of this ilk, you know, and it's um, so it's about time, you know, that the newspapers, honestly, it's time for the syndicate, which mm-hmm. I think they did let him go, um, le- lets him go. You know, he um, is coming from a place that is full of hate and it's not even informed. You know, it's it's um, it feeds into what's going on in these these days at that time, this time in life, mm-hmm. um, which honestly isn't that different than what has happened before we have that's why some of the things that i talk about in my book are happening now and somebody's like you could have written this yesterday you know because mm-hmm. it's still happening and the the idea that this very successful um cartoonist would come out of his face <laughs> like that because honestly that's the way that's what he believes but it's he's so ill-informed and he and he doesn't even understand the well, he doesn't understand a lot. Um, I'm glad he's he's, he's off the paper, out of the papers. I hope the syndicate lets him go as well. Honestly, that's my same syndicate. That was my Universal Press. I think he was part of the same syndicate, and I hope I hope they let him go. There's no place for that. Any interest in they're looking for a cartoonist? Would you ever consider <laughs> diving back in? <laughs> You know, the, the, it's it's a whole nother world now. Newspapers are, are drying out. You know, there's and honestly, when I started 1991, they sent out a, a letter saying newspapers are dying. You know, this this we don't know how long this is going to hold on. So I don't know that I would go back to a syndicate because that's that's I, I don't even think it's um, a way to make money anymore. Not mm-hmm. that I'm making any money on Instagram, but I could still when I have my own ideas, I can I can just float it in Instagram or somewhere. Just saying, there's some papers with some space in your voice yes. <laughs> <laughs> this morning. That's I just yes. putting it out into the universe. And that's uh, how it works, too. Something has to leave for you to come in. Yeah. As you reflect back, as you were putting this together and you reflect back on your characters and their stories, um, what impact do you think you've had on people? Or you oh. hope that you've had? Yeah. Uh, I, I, um, I hope that I've um, done exactly what my dad told me to do is really record our history and um, and to put it down in a way that is entertaining. I mean, it's not always funny, but and it's not always um, sometimes it's kind of heavy, you know, mm-hmm. and it's yeah. I'm not trying to get people to slap their knee every time, you know, but I want them to be able to nod their head in agreement and say, yeah, that is what it that is what we were living. That's that is what our experience was. It's it's a nice way to um, to contribute to the world by just recording what has happened in our lives. So years from now, people can read it and say, huh, that's what they were going through. And maybe say, huh, that's what we're still going through, <laughs> which is awful, but it could happen. Or maybe learn something. Or maybe learn a thing or two. Yes. The name of the collection is Where I'm Coming From by Barbara Brandon Croft. Thank you so much for being with us. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, too. WNYC Studios is brought to you by Zbiotics. Seize the day after a night of drinks with Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink. Zbiotics was invented by PhD scientists to break down the byproduct of alcohol, which is most responsible for making you feel crummy the next day. Drink Zbiotics before your first drink, drink responsibly, and you'll wake up refreshed and ready to take on the day. Try it for yourself at zbiotics.com/wnyc and get 15% off your first order when you use WNYC at checkout. 
That's zbiotics.com slash WNYC and use the code WNYC at checkout for 15% off.